0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, and today I've named or titled the sermon unrealized treasure and i'm actually going to go through the word to realize we think we know what the word means but there's really a lot of depth to that word and it's true the world doesn't realize this treasure this love of god this wisdom of god played out in sending his son into the world to die for our sins hope for mankind hope for the human race uh, from here and beyond and sadly a lot of churches are feeling pressure of secularism and they're moving. I've been reading some articles about the secular gospel. The secular gospel is a dead gospel. It doesn't work. It's a false gospel. The truth is that Jesus came. Yes, the world may be offended that our Savior was hung on a tree, crucified, and he provided the only way for humans to be saved. So that may be offensive, but you know what? The truth hurts. You know, even if you're not thinking about spiritual things, when we tell each other loving people relationships, something about them that, that is a character flaw. Do you think that you or I, we always receive it readily? No, we don't. So it is the truth of the gospel, which in a lot of ways is an unrealized treasure. Now, today we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. Check this out. He's writing from a prison cell. He's falsely accused. He's in jail without the amenities that we have today in prisons, and he's writing this letter, sending it to the Ephesians, and there's joy, and there's excitement, and there's encouragement in it. It's part revelatory. It's part encouraging. It's part a shot in the arm to the Ephesians that don't, don't be considering me in prison here. You know, this is where I need to be right now, but I want you to go, and I want you to thrive, and I want you to spread the gospel, and I want you to realize this treasure. So we're going to look at it. It's 21 verses. We're going to take it in three parts, and the first part is Revelation. Something that's revealed. The second part is resources, which God gives us the resources to spread this incredible message. And the third part is realization. So we'll check this out, starting at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, most of the Ephesian church at the time were Gentiles, some Jewish believers. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation, or the stewardship, of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the saints, or by the Spirit, excuse me, to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So the the first part is the revelation, the revealing of the mystery of the church to the saints, to the prophets, to the angels. Over the years, especially in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints, the prophets, the angels were... Interested, always interested in what God's going to do in the future, but some things God kept close to the chest. He didn't reveal it right away. It was an unfolding sort of revelation, uh, this, this treasure. And the Apostle Paul says, for this reason I, for what reason? Well, we have to look at the antecedent in chapter 2, the, the event that took prior, place prior to what we're reading this morning. Remember, the Apostle Paul didn't write a letter and say, oh, by the way, this is chapter 2, this is chapter three, that came many years later. So this is one, one continuous thought. So we go from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, I have to bring you back, give you a little bit more up to speed information to understand what's going on. For this reason, I, the apostle Paul says, why? Because Ephesians two just got done, he just got done speaking about the unity of a spiritual house, how we're all brought together and we work together. Jesus is the, is the cornerstone. You know, the, a lot of the prophets are foundational stones, and then we're the stones that build up the rest of this edifice, so to speak, with, in which God dwells inside of. And then the real work can begin. So this threefold task, number one, his job was to, one, make known this mystery. It's not like murder mystery. We, our words have evolved. Words can evolve, people can't. But our words have evolved over the years, and this mystery means something that prior was not really known, it was a little murky, a little cloudy. God didn't reveal it, but now we understand it. So this mystery, this revelation of bringing the Gentiles into the fold, and that through the Jewish Messiah. That was a big, big thing back in the day. Like I said before, you got to understand the rift between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, a lot of them were Romans and Greeks, and they were polytheists. They were, they were all-out pagans, and the Jews had great disdain for that weirdness, because it was weird. But then again, the Jews weren't acting right because they were supposed to bring the Gentiles to know their God. Evangelism really was supposed to start in the Old Testament, you know? Uh, So you have to understand this enmity, this, this, this beef that the two of them had together. And when we look out in the world, what do we see? We see a lot of groups doing the same thing. Identity politics, I'm this, you're that. So many ways to separate us. So I believe that there's a challenge in the 21st century in the church to also bring people together because there is a lot of division. There's even a lot of division in church groups. You know, I'm an observer. I've even watched on retreats where different church groups come together and they don't talk to each other. That's weird. We're supposed to be unified in the body of Christ. So just kind of throwing a few things out at you there. Um, I'm going to jump to 1 Peter. This is probably This is just an awesome scripture that... If you really meditate on it, uh, it'll give you chills. First Peter one, ten through twelve. Peter says of this salvation. So it's not just Paul talking about it. It wasn't just Jesus talking about it. They're all talking about it. Peter said of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. That's God is saying to prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, hey, write this down. They're writing stuff down. They're reading it, and they're inquiring, but God's not giving them, even them, the full picture, and they were the prophets. So this was a cloudy picture, a veiled picture, that comes to light in the New Testament. 11, searching what or what manner of time, when is this going to happen? The Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported, now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Even angels were watching everything unfold. The good angels that minister to God, well, what's what's the Father doing today? What's the Master doing today? And just watching things unfold. And even the demonic angels and we we 're going to get to them as well, so this affects everybody. this affects all of creation. I mean th- this pops, man I, when, when I start to read this, I just get excited because because it's just it, it transcends these walls and this wood and, and matter and atoms, it goes all the way into the supernatural, the throne room of god and and where the the demons are that 's how powerful this message is so b his second task was to. Uh, to be appointed to minister to the gentiles. Remember, he's a rabbi. He's in a, a certain class, a, a Pharisee. You know, they're separated from everybody else. They're very Orthodox. And he's a rabbi. He's a devout Jew. And the Gentiles are probably, you know, he, maybe he was a highfalutin rabbi. Maybe they were a little again, he was disdainful of them. And here he is. He gets saved. And then God says, well, I want you to be a minister to the Gentiles. No easy task. So, listen, when we talk about our lives and we talk about things that God reveals to us and we maybe have a rough ministry, um, we have to look back. And people are no different in the last few thousand years. It's just a different time period. right? We still need to be obedient. The word is still the word. It hasn't changed. Third point, uh, the Apostle Paul suffered persecution and imprisonment for probably what he thought he would never do with these Gentiles. And if you would have told the Apostle Paul not being saved, well, you're first of all going to become a Christian. You have the people you're trying to kill, arrest, etc., and you're going to minister to the Gentiles and bring them into the fold. You know, those people that you don't like. We have to think about this, right? We, we should never tell God, I'll never do blank, blank, blank. Because eventually we're, we'll hear munch, munch, munch. And that's the sound of us eating our words. When I got saved, I loved Jesus. I was so nervous coming up to the front. My knees were knocking. You know, it just was a spiritual thing. It was just so exciting, but so frightening at the same time. And I'm listening to the pastor, and I'm, I'm loving the word. I've never heard the word preached like this before. And then he starts, and I'm new, new in the faith. Then he starts talking about uh, evangelizing, telling people, sharing your faith. And in my mind, I'm like making faces, and in my mind I'm thinking, you're a pastor, you get paid to do that. I have a job, I don't do that stuff. Well, some 18 or so e- years later, I can't wait to share my faith. I just love to share my faith, and again, it's not something he's making me do. It's a joy. But seriously, we should never say to God, I'm never gonna, because it just usually doesn't pan out the way we think it's going to, so... The Apostle Paul, he's writing to Gentiles in, from prison, remember that? He's in prison because some of his, maybe probably the crowd that he ran with, maybe other rabbis, but there was a, a, a group of unconverted Jews that really had a problem with him being changed, with him ministering to the Gentiles, and they made trouble for him everywhere he went. Talk about ironies here. You know, the prosperity gospel teaches if you really have enough faith and you're really close to God, he'll pretty much give you everything you want and you'll be able to escape situations that are not palatable. But then the Bible tells us something different. For the Apostle Paul, listen, we may come to places to glorify God, maybe places we don't appreciate. For the Apostle Paul, it was uh, prison. Uh, For me, it might have been an early ministry loss of friends. For you, it might be doing all the right things and trying to honor God and your business fails. For others, it might be infamy. For the persecuted church, uh, Pastor Ed, last Sunday, genocide, genocide. I mean, the Roman Empire, the first, century, the first few centuries, horrific things that happened to Christians, the numbers of Christians that have been killed in the last several years, the Roman Empire doesn't compare. They're being just, it's genocide, they're being slaughtered. It's the Roman Empire all over again, but what's happening? The more that they're being uh, wiped out, the more that are rising up and becoming Christians. You can't stop the Spirit of God. Right, we, 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 our, our faith a lot of times doesn't make any sense to the world. Well, just just convert, do what they say. You just live out the rest of your life, you and your kids. Yeah, but we, we know the risen Christ. We know his real. We can't turn our back because eternity's a long time. So that's uh, you know brings me to my my next point. Actually, can you can we have peace amidst horrible circumstances? Yes or no? Yes. We covered that two Sundays ago. The peace of Christ, the peace that Christ brings. Everything about him, he's the Prince of Peace. The world has peace because circumstances chill. They calm down. Christians have peace because it doesn't matter, because the inner man is being renewed day by day. We're being strengthened. We're going to read about this. Paul's a prisoner. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Nero, who was was on the throne about that time. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He knew he was there for a reason. But you know what Paul did? He witnessed to the guards that he was chained to. Captive audience. He's chained to the guy. Might as well start talking about the Lord. He went before courts, Gentile courts, and you know the, the heathen courts, and he witnessed to them. And some of them, he, has, he got some pretty good conversations out of them. Look at the book of Acts. So he didn't look at his situation and say, Oh, Lord, I'm not, I'm not out in my garden. I'm not making money. You know, I'm in this stinking prison. He made the best of it. He knew that the Lord had him there for a reason. And he was going to use that opportunity. So when we go through difficult times, we should be more pragmatic. We should ask the Lord, well, all right, so I'm here. Not thrilled about being here, but what is it you want me to do? Amen? I mean, I went through a spate several years ago of just procedure after procedure, the hospital, blah, blah, blah. And I just started witnessing to people the weirdest thing was when I was coming off of general anesthesia, and I tried to witness. It didn't work out that well, you know. My wife's like, shh, there'll be a time for that. Follow-up appointments. So, uh, but but we talked, you know, we had some discussions. To take it a step further, what are you and I a prisoner of? Bob Dylan wrote a song years ago, said you all have to serve someone. It's either the Lord or the devil, and that's the truth. Who are we serving? Who are we prisoner of? And if we don't think we're a prisoner of anybody, then we're probably a prisoner to self and ego. And that's what a lot of the world is doing in America. They're prisoners of their own self-directed life, and that's a bondage in itself. Because only, there's only a council of one. And unfortunately, some in the American church are not far from it. I would like to think that I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know? In verse 2, he says, he uses a big word, he says, indeed you have heard of the dispensation. It's a big word. There's another word that's similar to it, it's stewardship, and I'm going to play around with some synonyms um, and etymology. Uh, Verse 2, that word stewardship comes from the Greek word oikonomia, and that word is a transliteration, In the English means economy. So oikonomia, economy, that's where we get that word. Did you know that? All right, so you learned something new today. (laughs) But the Greek word is a compound word and it literally means household law or household management. And there's an expression today called, and you might have heard it in Christian circles, God's economy, in God's economy, right? And this is the way it rolls. Are we in God's economy? God has a system and it, it starts here and it plays out into eternity. Are we in the world's economy or are we in God's economy? You know, are we pining away for fleeting treasures that end when we die? Or are we trying to build up the economy in, in spiritual um, treasures that Jesus says they last forever? I'm, I'm exercising my stewardship by preaching to you. And it really is exciting when you, especially new believers, find out what your spiritual gifts are and then you are in God's economy and you're exercising those gifts. It's an amazing thing. I mean, there's things that people can do in this church that I can't, maybe for time restra- constraints or, um, or other things. And I'm blessed. I love to hear the praise reports of the prison ministry and the teen ministry and the, and the couples ministry. It's a great thing. But, so, you know, you might ask, well, Pastor Joe, do you ever get tired of, of saying the same thing for probably since I've been evangelizing? plus pastoring, because I actually was evangelizing before I became a pastor. So some 18 years or so. No. How do I get tired of a message that's going to save your soul and save my soul? I mean, I still got the same zeal. You know, it, it's, I don't think, yeah, I want to take a, a change of pace. It's an incredible message. As long as there are souls that need to be saved, this is what I'm going to be doing. never gets old. Verse 7 The last verse in this this section, he says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power, meaning God's power. Effective working, in the Greek, that word is energia, where we get the word energy. When we go in his strength, when we use our spiritual gifts, he really gives us an incredible energy. God enables us, he empowers us. You know, I was just talking to somebody recently and they had one of them like 6-hour energy drinks. It, it, I think it started out with 2 hours, 4 hours. And I think it goes all the way up to 10 hours. <laughs> you, phew, poof, you know, it gives you a kick in the pants and you can do stuff the whole day long. But then I've also been on in situations with Hurricane Sandy when a lot of the shore was destroyed and we worked with other churches and and we went down there and you know, we actually loaned out Pastor Vinny because he lives down there for several months to minister to them. And we went to the sites and, you know, it was kind of sort of depressing to watch uh, the suffering, but to be able to help. And it's funny because we'd be there eight hours, 10 hours, and then come back and just, you know, God just gives you this energy. And it's the truth, the effective working in his power. If he's tasked you to do something, he will enable you and you'll look back and say, how did I do that? by the power of God. And that, you know, that, that, that never gets old. right? The, the power of God, it'll take us out of our comfort zones at times. And, and that's really sometimes the stretch. When you look at a situation, you go, ah, in your, in your own flesh, you're afraid or you're, you think you're inadequate. And then God takes you out of that comfort zone and He does a great work in you. So, and again, remember, this is all being written from a guy in prison who was falsely accused without all the amenities. Verse 8, the second section, uh, Paul says, To me who am less, and this is a real humility here, I am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold, or variegated or or multi-sided wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, the angelic realm, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So the second part, resources in verse 8 he speaks about the unsearchable riches of christ i'm going to play with words today because i really want to pull out i want these words to pop in your minds i want you to to have an impression of what he's saying here and the greek is fun because it, it it you can go in so many directions with it okay so the unsearchable riches in other words undepletable god's riches cannot be depleted there's a finite amount of gold on this planet there's a finite amount of silver But God's riches are unsearchable. They can't be depleted. You can never get to the end of his riches. See what I'm saying? There's never a bottom of the barrel, so to speak. And that's what's available in Christ to everyone who's listening today. And again, people are going after riches of this world. Listen, a lot of things are inanimate. They're um, innocuous. They're not good or bad. But when we put so much of our time going after things in the world and we don't consider God. That's where the problem comes in. To me, it, it, it reminds me of somebody who is, is just going after the world, just gorging themselves on dog food. You could eat dog food. It's a spot it might be tasty. I'm not interested in dog food. But it's just, God has so much more for us, you know? And, and in, in, a, in a, a spiritual sense, it's like gorging oneself on dog food. It's just basic stuff crude fiber and some crude protein, but, you know, it really isn't something that's going to really nourish us and give us nutrition. This is the unifying gospel, is the treasure. Just, and I, I try to do this as often as possible for those that may be new to the Bible and say, you know, I'm, I'm not grasping a lot of stuff. It's very deep, but I want to learn. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That word, whosoever, is another incredible word. It's a huge dragnet, and it can catch everybody in that net. Whatever you've done, whatever family you come from, if you're in the deep woods of Okefenokee that nobody can find you, this net can catch you, this whosoever. God means what he says. It's completely open-ended. So this is, we, we talk about God's wisdom, And through God's wisdom is the love of God and that love was transferred to the love of Christ and through the love of Christ he went to the cross and died for our sins and everything else like I say is just gravy but what do we do with that as a church as a people if we've been a Christian for some time what do we do with that well in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents one of the men took the talent and he buried it, and he put it in a kerchief and buried it in the ground, this precious thing that God gave him. When God came back, he made up excuses for why he didn't use it and and multiply it. And it wasn't really the money. It was the some symbolism behind the money. God has given us some incredible things. What do we do with it? Do we bury it in the ground? And then, and then the master comes back, and the guy goes, well, And he tries to blame God. Well, I know you are an austere man, not... So, you know, not reaping where you've sown in other people. And you make all these excuses and, and the master said, you wicked and lazy servant. I gave you something so priceless and you just buried it in the ground. What is the church doing with that talent? The, the thing that has so much power to save souls and change people's lives. Verse 10. He speaks about this amazing or this manifold wisdom of God. Now, I'm going to play with that word too. Um, but we live in an age. It started in the first century with Jesus Christ and the resurrection and and dying for our sins. We live in an age where what's come to light is this wisdom of God that's disseminated by the church. Why would he use us? (laughs) By, By mere people to the angelic and the demonic world to educate them. That's powerful. God's wisdom, it says, is manifold. It's let me throw some synonyms in there. Polychromatic, variegated, like variegated plants that have multiple colors on them. It's beautiful. Well, why would, why would God's wisdom be explained, not in intellect, but in beauty? Because we think in intellect. That's where it's at in America. We worship education. What are we educating ourselves for? I mean, it's good. But it, again, it only lasts as long as we live. It has an expiration date. When we die, it dies with us. Means nothing in the heavenlies. God's wisdom is variegated. It's polychromatic. It's beautiful. It's not dull. It's not boring. It's not sterile. The big lie is that you have to read the Bible, and the Bible is boring. Every time I read the Bible, there's another layer that pops out at me. I can read books. I read them when I was a new believer. And then I can teach them 20 years later, and it's like, wow. It's like, I know I read this book. Where'd that come from? It's beautiful. There's strata to it, there's beauty to God's wisdom. Warren Wiersbe on this subject says that God is educating the angels by means of the church. Wow. In Luke 15.10, it says the angels rejoice when a lost sinner repents and comes to faith. When you are, are regenerate and God is changing you, maybe right now through the word and you come forward in front of all when you come forward, it's not just in front of these people, it's in front of the principalities in the heavenlies, and they know and they see and they rejoice when a lost sinner comes to repentance. Isn't that amazing that we have that much power? But let me, let me caution, it's really not our power, it's the power of God that works through us. Yes, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So verse 12, he says, in whom, let me read it again, in whom, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access with confidence, through faith in Him. What do we have today that we can be bold about, that we can have access and confidence? Well, whatever it is, again, it has an expiration date. But the Bible says we can have all those things through Him. And we are being lied to and we are being deceived if we don't think we can. Because the Bible is telling us that we can and that's what we need to be listening to God's word. Verse 13, the apostle Paul says this, and check it out, he has the same nature of Jesus Christ. He's taken on the Lord's nature when the Lord was going to the cross, he ministered. The women came up and cried for him in one gospel and he said, "No, no, I I'm concerned for you." You know, when when the light is taken out of the world, what's what's going to be light? Like? He talks about the greenwood versus the the deadwood. So Similar to Jesus, the Apostle Paul is saying, don't faint as a result of my tribulation. He didn't say, oh, please petition the governor. Please come here. Protest for me. Get me out of here. Give me money. Buy me a lawyer. He didn't say any of those things. He was rejoicing in that prison cell because he knew his letter was going to reach the Ephesian church. What's more is, you know, we can listen to somebody who they have it all and they can say, oh, life is great. And we can say, Sure, it's great for you because you have it all. However, when somebody is in a situation where everything is taken from them and then they can still rejoice, that's when we really need to perk up. Everything was taken from this man. His freedom, his standing in society, probably any degree that he held under Gamaliel was, was revoked, right? They, they took everything from him, but here he is in a prison cell and he's rejoicing. And I think as American Christians, we need to get this point because we get caught up in this lie again this prosperity gospel lie that says when things are going bad we either don't have enough faith or god has forsaken us that's not true when somebody watches you go through something that's very difficult and you still have that joy of the lord it says something to them people take notice this letter has so much passion so much power and so much ability that it couldn't be held back by the concrete stone guards and in many miles that separated the apostle paul from his readers our prayer has power you know when i pray and and i encourage you to pray for the persecuted church because one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to meet people from kurdistan and from sudan and from indonesia and you know we're going to be all at the banquet table and You know, we might find out about their sufferings and how they suffered for the Lord and how they were in glory before us and spent so much time with the Lord and everything's clear to them. You know, I say we have to pray for the persecuted church because, you know, many people maybe in this country haven't had near-death experiences or never had a situation where they were told to deny your faith or we'll kill you. We have to pray for them that they stand strong. We have to pray for them that, that God does an incredible work over there and more souls are saved. But when I pray, it's amazing that when I pray to God for them, my prayers go from where I am right now, across oceans, across Bob, barbed wire. It passes the tanks and the armies that are trying to stop it. And my prayers get to Kurdistan, they get to Sudan, they get to all these areas. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes I think we forget. This Again, it's another lie. Like Eeyore, oh, all we can do is pray, poo. It's not that way. We have power in our prayers. That's why God says, I want you to continue to pray. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. It's really exciting. Verse 14, last few verses. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think According to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. 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 (laughs) Third and last part is the realization of what we as believers have. This is a great prayer for Western Christianity. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For what reason? The love of Christ, the wisdom of God played out in the love of Christ in the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection and this unifying gospel. Do we realize it? Let me just read to you the definition of realization. Number one, it's the act of becoming fully aware of something as fact. Right? Do we believe that this is a fact? Do we believe in the veracity of God's word? Two, the fulfillment or the achievement of something desired or anticipated. If so, we act on it, because belief or behavior follows belief all the time. Show me somebody behaving in a certain way and I will tell you what they believe, because the way it translates in our mouth and our hands and our feet and the things that we do, it starts with belief. Do we fully realize, do we believe in this? Many Christians mentally agree, but it doesn't play out in their lifestyles. In every church across America, some people, as they're walking out, they take it off and they leave it in the church lobby. Well, I've got to go out into the world now. I'll be back. Hey, hold on my pack, because when I come back, I want to put it back on again and feel good. No. If we believe in it, we act on it. It permeates our being and everything we do in life. Far-reaching ministries. I'm getting a lot of mileage out of them from last Sunday. He talked about Muslims coming to Christ in ISIS-held territory and then going back and wanting to minister to to their persecutors, to other Muslims, and bring them to faith. Risk losing everything. That's pretty incredible. They believe, they realize, there's a realization there. Do we? I mean, Americans live greater than three-quarters of the Earth's population. We are wealthy by the world's standards. However, we have astounding rates of suicide. I'm hearing more and more of teen suicide, teens talking about suicide. We have so much, but throwing money at people is not solving the problem. Drug use, depression, despair, imprisonment, it's all around us. And we're one of the richest countries in the nation, in the world. We have 18 trillion dollars in debt, which has to be paid back. And we're not solving the problems. We're not solving the social problems. Hey, check this out. Prayer, the Bible, and Jesus are banned from many public schools. But you can talk about Wicca and Halloween and all that kind of stuff. However, we allow it in prison. So we're admitting, well, maybe they'll be good prisoners. Well, maybe they won't fight with the guards and other prisoners. Maybe they won't try to escape. So give the prayer and the Bible and Jesus. You put it in the prisons. As a society, we're admitting the power of Christ, but we have it backwards. So the idea, this narcissistic idea as a society that we can build the child into the adults that we're looking for, but then if it doesn't work out and they end in prison, go give them the Bible and Jesus then. Right? What are we saying with our actions as a society? Here's a falsely accused prisoner, the Apostle Paul, joyfully telling us that we have the wisdom of God at our fingertips. Are we utilizing it? What is he saying to you and I? Some may say, well, he's not saying anything to me. I'm not an Ephesian 2,000 years ago. Oh, yes, he is. And I'm going to prove it to you. Because Jesus said, he didn't say go make converts. He didn't say have these big events and have people come forward and then ignore them or just send them away. He said make disciples of the nations. And then disciples made disciples. And for 2,000 years, there's been a progression of discipleship. I've been discipled by somebody. Many of you have been discipled by somebody. And it goes on and on and on. So guess what? If we are disciples, then God tells us to do things as disciples. It's as if he was speaking to us even though he spoke to them in the first century. That's my logic for this morning. The the disciple, you know, 20 layers down in, 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 in history is no less than the original disciple. And when we read about what to do as disciples, it applies to us as well. So he's saying to a few things to us. He says, According to the riches of His glory and through the Holy Spirit that we would be strengthened with might in the inner man or the inner person. But what do we see today? You go through the, the checkout lines. There's all magazines. Beautiful people. Right? Or what society views as a beautiful person. airbrushed to the max. The best clothing. The hair as if they walk through a wind tunnel. It's just it's floating in the air and it's shiny and perfect. And you know... That's what we look at in American society. But what does God say? First Samuel 16, 7, he says that man, women, look at the outward appearance, but God looks deep, he looks into the heart. Second Corinthians 4, 16, I love this. He says we never give up because the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. The outward man is perishing, we're decaying. Oh, that's a good reason to give up. No, it's not, because the inward man keeps on being renewed. It doesn't matter what we look on the outside. And that's going to last into eternity. Let's read a few quotes. The late Dr. A.W. Tozer, author and pastor, said, quote, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. That is sad. He goes on. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament, let me clarify that, the Acts church in the first century, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. I've been driving this point home about celebrityism. And it's getting into Calvary chapels too. Celebrity, celebrity, celebrity appearances. Instead of putting David up against the world's Goliath, we're putting up a Goliath against the Goliath. They're just... We, We got ours he's just as big and and buff and and handsome as that other Goliath. Bigger sword, bigger shield. God put a David against a a Goliath. He didn't put Goliath against the Goliath. Amen? Now I heard another quote. I'm still trying to find the bottom of it. But that the, the persecuted church in China, not the facade of the communist church that has no resurrection and that kind of stuff, the underground church in China, some of those Christians come to America to see how a church can be run without the Holy Spirit. So they can model what not to do. We can Listen, we can dance and sing and we can manufacture all kinds of stuff and say it was the Lord. I heard in uh, one of the East Coast Pastors Conference, I think it was Damian Kyle, and he said that there's, there are people that when they come into a Spirit-filled church, they leave and they say, I can't put my finger on it people were nice, the preaching was good, worship, but this, it was something about that church. It was spirit-filled. You can't always put your finger on what the Holy Spirit is doing, but you've got to welcome him into your church and into your life. Because we can all put on a good show right now and then go home and behave in a way that we're definitely not spirit-filled, and it does nobody any good. Not our families, not us, not the church. Actually, K.P. Ohan Revolution and World uh, Missions, great book, Hunger for the Indian people, the subcontinent of Asia, Indian subcontinent. He, uh, he, you know, the the poverty, the desperation, the false gods. You know, ethnic Indian comes to America, is here for a while. Nice hotels, running water, all kinds of stuff, and he goes, "I had to check my heart. I started to lose my fire and my passion for the unsaved." It can happen, folks. Satan works differently across the seas than he does here. And listen, I'm not trying to be a downer or a negative, but we have to watch. We have to guard our hearts. You ever see somebody who all of a sudden comes into money and they change? Why? All the monopoly money that we're printing in the government and and sending it out, that's going to change us? Today it's here, tomorrow in the stock market it's gone. Gold is 1,200 an ounce, then it's 1,150. It's all over the place. It's going to change us? What should be changing us is this word, this transformative word. He also says, Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Again, inside, there's an expression, my heart, Christ's home. First Kings 8, we talked about it, uh, last Wednesday. I talked about the temple and, and the grandiose, beautiful, grandiose, and the gold and all this kind of stuff. And then it was the most important part, asking God to come into the temple. Because without that, it was just a, without that it's just a building. It's pretty, ornate, it's just a building. That what made the temple the temple was the fact that God's Shekinah glory, his indwelling presence, resided in that building. And then lastly, he says, to be rooted and grounded in God's love. Again, I'm I'm just having fun playing with words today. The word for rooted is heridzo, where we get in the English, a rhizome, which is a plant or a vegetative matter like a strawberry that what it does is it has under the ground it has this big root ball and it has runners that go horizontal under the ground you can't see it and they network with other roots and there's this they they get there and, and these this root ball and the, and the, the, it goes sideways and it networks with other roots and it it becomes this firm foundation for a stability and for b hydration rhizome to be rooted are we rooted in god's love right and he wanted to know, or he wanted to make sure we comprehended the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know Christ's love. In other words, four dimensions, the vastness of Christ's love. It's his way of expressing it. As a matter of fact, if you are into mathematics, there's a, 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 an object called the four-dimensional tesseract. When he was doing that, I looked that up in um, the geometry. The Apostle Paul, I don't think he was a mathematician, but he used things that we could understand to try to really grasp the depth of Christ's love. It's deep. And it's, it's more than skin deep. In other words, God's wisdom played out in Christ's love, and this transcends our finite understanding and boundaries. He said it surpasses knowledge. To the unregenerate, in other words, it makes no sense. Really, God's love doesn't make any sense. You ever try to talk to somebody and they say, well, that person's really bad. And you say, well, yeah, but if they really repent... Christ died for their sins, and, and they'll be saved, and they'll get to heaven. What? What are you talking about? They, they get mad because they don't understand. You, you're laughing. It's happened to me. You kind of got to sit with them for a while when you have that discussion because they have an impression about somebody who's so bad, and they're not, and that person can't be saved, but I'm good, so I'll get to heaven on my own merits. Christ's love makes no sense. It surpasses knowledge. It's not supposed to make sense here. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the Apostle Paul says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. Lastly, he says, I'm telling you, it's kind of like you have to, it's like a steak, you know, you eat it, you just got to sit for a while, you got to digest it. He puts so much in here. We could be doing this for hours. But I just want you to get the, the general message of what he's saying. Then he says that, that he, his desire is for us. Now, when he says my desire is for you, he's saying that I'm praying for you. Yes, it's his desire, it's his hope. You know, the, the, the miles and the prison separates us. So how's he going to get to them? Well, his letter, his words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's also praying for them. You know, this is his hope and his prayer for them. Desire is to be filled with the fullness of God. The one who can do exceedingly above all that we ask or think. This is the power that works in us, if we'll have it. Do you want it? I know I want it. And I have to ask. And before I, I come up here, I'm like, I really, I, I pray, and I'm like, Lord, it's, it's really got to be you. I know I put notes together, but anytime you want to interject and, and change my channel and me stumble through it, but it's something from you, I'll take it. We're good the power of God. We want it to work through us. You know, I don't... Let me just... I want to make sure I qualify this. Over the years, I've talked to a few people that have tried to take their life. And different situations, and you know, I'll tell you what, I could be talking to that person in my mind, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tread water. In my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, I need help right now. You know, please, words, spirit, whatever. And so I'm having a dual conversation. I'm asking him for help. And you know what? It's been, it's been an awesome thing to talk somebody out of that, to tell them that their life is not hopeless. And then you wonder, when they're out of your presence, did they just placate you? Or are they really okay? Should I call 911, you see? But that's the power of God. Now, that's an amazing thing. I actually, there's an article in my office about about pastors, and that suicide is on the rise. tempted suicides. And, and that can only be done if, if I think, oh, I'm good, watch me, I have the silver tongue. No, 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 that's not how it works. It means nothing, because people can see through that. It's got to be a work of God. You've got to be using the power of God. This is somebody's life we're talking about. And they've chosen you for such a time as this because they're desperate. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to call. That's your lifeline has got to go right up there. Lord, I need your help right now. And he can do amazing works through you and more. Churches can be weak and, ineffic- and inefficient or ineffective because they don't realize this treasure that's rooted in God's word and that's rooted in the love of Christ. More tragic is a church that thinks it has it all together. But like the church of Sardis, Jesus said to them, you have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. You're devoid of the Holy Spirit. Repent. You seem to be a happening place, but you're dead. That's in Revelation 3. As we also spoke about in the Bible College on Thursday, Jesus said to his disciples, do you love me? Do we love Jesus? If we do, are we feeding his lambs? Are we tending to them? This is the good news of hope in a hopeless world. I have to tell you, if I was probably preaching in the 80's, it would probably be more difficult. Because everybody was making money in the stock market. Everything was going great. It was this big bubble, you know, housing market, everything. Everything was going it just was this, this, a part of the cycle in American culture. And it's, that's a hard thing to compete with, because that's what people are drawn to. But we have a message of hope in a hopeless world. That stuff doesn't satisfy. Are we living it out in our lifestyles? If you don't know the Lord, do you want this treasure? It has the ability to save your souls and the souls of your loved ones. If you are a believer, have you realized this treasure? Do you want to take his hand? Do you want to stop riding two worlds and just jump into him full force and trust him with your life and your future and your, your marriage and your finances and most of all, how we can effectively reach somebody outside that needs hope in a hopeless world? Do you want the ability, because God will provide it, to work through you in a mighty way? Let's pray.